0: Welcome to Druid Wisdom, the podcast of the Ancient Order of Druids in America. I am Dave Ardry, an apprentice in the AODA.
1: Hi, I'm Kira, an apprentice in the AODA. I'm excited.
0: (laughs) So you made apprentice, huh?
1: (laughs) I did. It's a long time coming, but I'm joining the ranks. So it's very exciting. New chapters.
0: I'm really looking forward to all the conversations we have in the Apprentice chat channel on the Discord.
1: Yes! That means I have to reimmerse myself into Discord. I took a break, but I'm back. The Ancient Order of Druids in America, or AODA, is a modern Druid order rooted in the Druid Revival. AODA understands Druidry as a path of nature spirituality and inner transformation founded on personal experience rather than dogmatic belief. AODA welcomes people of all national origins, cultural and linguistic backgrounds, races, genders, abilities, and affiliations with other Druidic and spiritual traditions. Ecological awareness and commitment to an earth-honoring lifestyle, celebration of the cycles of nature through seasonal ritual, and personal development through meditation and other spiritual exercises form the core of its work, and involvement in the arts, natural sciences, and traditional esoteric studies are among its applications and expressions. AODA places a special emphasis on wild crafting druidry to be rooted in local ecosystems and developing rituals and symbolism that ties directly to where you live. In addition to AODA's flexible curriculum, which comprises of three degrees, members may also choose to join the Gnostic Celtic Church, which offers spiritual discernment, dedicated religious practice, and ordination of clergy. For more information about the AODA, visit www.aoda.org.
0: AODA's podcast focuses on exploring the many aspects of modern Druidry through interviewing Druids from many walks of life. By hearing each other's stories and sharing about our paths, we are able to understand and document how diverse modern Druid practices are. By sharing the stories of various AODA Druids, we can all come to a deeper understanding of our living tradition, build our tradition in new ways, and explore how our values and practices allow for meaningful connection with nature. Joining us on this episode is Nate Summers. Nate Summers has been a survival skills instructor for over 20 years with a background in anthropology. Asian Studies, and Natural Medicines. He has taught at the Wilderness Awareness School, Desert Institute of Healing Arts, the Asian Institute of Medical Studies, served as adjunct faculty for Prescott College, and been a naturalist guide for the evergreen escapes. Nate's passions include ethnobotany, hunter-gatherer childhoods, rewilding, natural movement, eco-spirituality, herbal medicine, and internal martial arts. He has been involved with Druidry for over 15 years. You can find out more about his work and teaching at primalnate.com. Thanks for joining us, Nate.
2: My pleasure.
1: Yay! It feels good to be back. <laughs> it does. I appreciate it. It's been a while. All right.
0: We will light a candle and recite the following together. We come come together together at at this time time and place,
1: each of of us with a different path path and pace. We We open open our hearts hearts and minds to explore, growing our knowledge knowledge more more and more. more. We We come come together together without judgment judgment or malice. malice. We encourage the the growth of of all those around us. us.
2: All, all who, who join, join are part, part of, the of the grove.
1: grove. May, May the knot of Druid, Druid friendship be well. wove. Nate, we'll kick it off with your first question. How did you discover Druidry? Oh,
2: well, Kiara, thank you. Uh, first of all, both of you, thank Kiara and Dave, for having me on and thank you for doing this. I think I've been longing for a Druid podcast for a while and it was Delighted to discover that you two had put this together. And oh goodness, how did I discover Druidry? It's a really good question. And it's, I, I have a long answer. I think I'll go with like the short to mediumish answer. <laughs> and I, 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 the simple way I, I would put it is I, I've been really lucky in my life to have gotten to explore different spiritual traditions and, and really been invited it sometimes into some inner doorways, inner paths, inner circles of, of different spiritual traditions, and uh, one of those was just with different indigenous groups and indigenous cultures here in Native, in North America. When I was doing some training and, and practices that come from a Lakota tradition, I kind of did, went through a certain series of practices, and then what showed up for me was a lot of ancestral images, beings, qualities, uh, desires, connections. I think that that really led me to Druidry. And also, you know, there had been a natural, I guess, spirituality growing from my deep connection to nature and ecology for for many years. And those two combining together really launched, uh, I guess, my exploration, the pursuing of and, you know, study of Druidry in its different forms as it takes these days.
1: Yeah, I didn't get into the indigenous culture until I started reading my books. And then once I started understanding, then it was like, it was all around me and I just wasn't paying attention yet. So it was like a whole new world had opened up and I was able to make those ancestral connections a little bit easier, even with like our local trees, you know, like so much of like the oak is part of my ancestral, like even the school I went to was called Live Oak, you know, like my school oh, mascot yeah. was an uh, acorn. So there's those yeah. connections that as soon as we start making the connections, they're literally all around us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say one of the things that was very interesting for me is I kind of had this sort of awakening or, or you know, opening up when I was in the desert Southwest of, of the United States after having spent many years in the Pacific Northwest and really realizing that the Pacific Northwest was very much an ancestral landscape for, or very similar to my ancestors' landscape, I should say. So it's like where I live now in Cascadia and the Pacific Northwest and the state of Washington, right? Like there's ravens here and ravens are really significantly an important part of the culture. And the, you know, there's hazels, there's salmon, you know, and, you know, you go across the mm-hmm. ocean, Atlantic Ocean, over to Ireland and in the UK and other parts of northern Europe. And those are all very significant as well. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that the, there's this inherent connection between landscape, cosmology, spirituality and ecology.
1: Yeah, they call it all kind of meld together once you're really prioritizing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: What is your definition of Druidry?
2: Yeah, I, th- I find that a, a challenging question, right? And obviously, like, <laughs>
1: everyone does, right?
2: And you know, the joke is that, like, you know, you ask several, you know different druids or different people who practice druidry, and they'll give you different answers. And I, I think that's a really valid, and I love that. But I would say that it is a, a an eco spirituality tradition that's you know emphasizes connection uh, with the local bio region, but also has you know some sort of connection to ancient European traditions, it's a relevant spiritual path for everybody to consider and explore in the face of the ecological challenges we're facing as as people um, all across the planet. And, and I think it really does fill in some gaps for a lot of folks, myself included. I've been involved with a lot of different uh, what you call ancestral skills work, survival skills work, rewilding, and and I, you know, people become very deeply connected to to nature and to the plants and animals around them, and they they discover these deep longings, and one of them is a spiritual longing, and yet then there's the conundrum of they. Kind of become very attracted to the traditions that might be in their bioregion but then there's issues of cultural appropriation and, and power dynamics and all this stuff that can get really complicated really fast and so i think that you know druidry really can offer a spiritual possibility for uh, as a very fluid flexible path to explore the intersection of nature and spirituality for people who are into permaculture people who love the outdoors, people who are into survival skills, but they just aren't into organized religion, for instance.
0: Oh, absolutely. I love that definition.
1: It's very telling of your background, too, with the survival skills. And I know you're an accomplished author, and so you've written a lot. So I'm fascinated to dive deeper into that. I'm not yeah and how it all melts together right of like being one in nature almost to the extreme way right it's not just like discursive meditation and like walking through the forest but you're like immersed in it do you want to elaborate a little bit on the survival part
2: yeah yeah sure i i would love to and and i would just say yeah that that's a great way to put it here and i i love discursive meditation i found it a very refreshing you know, approach to meditation after having done other meditation traditions. But yeah, that, you know, the one of the things I really love about AO, AODA is the the three paths, right? The um, bardic, ovate, and druid, you know, the three strands. And especially that ovate path of knowing and learning and understanding the bioregion you're in and and just going and sitting in nature, right? Which which is really its own practice. You know, I don't want to get on too big of a tangent here, but I I found it very fascinating to read uh, Gary Schneider back in the day. And he was, I think, the first author that really made the connection between, he thought Zen practice, right, the the practice of sitting still in Zen meditation, was really, had a precursor practice that was sitting still in nature that was probably related to hunting and the sort of state of being you have to get into when you're hunting an animal, right? Or Mm. And mm-hmm. so there are these, these ways of connecting to nature, whether it's it's making fire literally with two sticks, right? Like, you know, friction fire with, you know, a bow drill or a hand drill or making stone tools. Or I think for a lot of AODA members, I, I've, I've, as I understand it, you know, and some of the people listening to this podcast, I'm imagining their relationship to plants, right? And like making plant medicines and how like mm. enlivening all that is. And then, Eventually, it seems like there's a natural desire for that to go deeper. But I, I don't think it's a, a coincidence. Many of the, the, the major spirit tragi- spiritual traditions in the world, even the monotheistic traditions, some of their key spiritual experiences of those teachers were all outside. Yeah. right? Like the Buddha achieved mm-hmm. enlightenment under tree at dawn. Yeah. Uh, Moses talked to a burning bush. You know, Jesus spent 40 days in the desert, you know, like, so it's, it's all there, you know? And so it it kind of brings us back to the idea that nature is inherently connected to spirituality.
1: Yeah. I love all the parallels that you just drew together, you know, because I think that it's universal, those experiences of having that nature contact. And I love that that's such a big focus on what we do and how we continue to have that conscious contact with nature because it's the thing that's sustaining our spiritual side. So it's as simple as like me feeling super powerless or, you know, crazy. And I just need to get outside. I just need to like sit in my backyard because I'm in the middle of a city and I like can't go on a spiritual retreat because I've got kids. I can't, it just needs to be five minutes of like the breeze hitting my face and I'm restored. So there's, Yeah, it can be as simple as complex as we make it.
2: Yeah, exactly. I love the the idea of the just like five minutes, the breeze hitting your face and the natural mindfulness and oneness that can come from that simple practice. Right. And that that's what we all secretly are longing for on some some level, you know?
1: Yeah. You touched on, um, something you said about the relevant spiritual path for everyone. And I have a 12 step background. So I know for me, like when I get involved in something, I feel like the whole world should (laughs) like everyone should do this. Everyone should be a Druid. And I spend a lot of time finding very like similarities. And so Summertime recently, we've had a lot of time off as a family and my husband and I binge watched the latest season of alone. And it was referred to me by a friend. I had never seen it before. And I've heard of like naked and afraid and all of that, but I hadn't really watched that either. And I'm watching these survivalists, right? There's like 10 people in the British Columbia. I think they're in Canada and under these insane, like circumstances and here they are like appreciating nature and giving thanks to the animals that they're able to survive on and having this whole background of plant medicine and what's safe and what isn't and it was like oh my god all these people are basically druids and they don't even know it (laughs) i'm yeah i love finding parallels everywhere that i'm watching so even reality tv shows that are out of my wheelhouse
2: yeah, totally. I actually interviewed Nicola Pelion for my first book. Um, the book is oh. called Primal Walk, Why We Long to Be Wild and Free. And Nicole mm-hmm. stars in the first season. And uh, she's kind of a, a colleague, a peer colleague in the field. And, you know, I really highly recommend her work to everybody. You know, her books on, on um, mm-hmm. plant medicine and foraging. She just had an amazing foraging book come out. But yeah, like to realize that, you know, even this sort of hardcore survival thing, it's, it's so much different than people think, you know, cause it is really hard and, and yeah, you have to drop into this different state of being when you're practicing those things. And, um, mm-hmm. th- there is this, this knowledge of place, this understanding of place. And and I agree, Kara, like I have the same tendency to just think, you know, everybody should, you know, we'll find these, these parallels and, and. Yeah, you know, I, I tend to be more of like a person who's drawn to like the idea of the perennial wisdom, you know, that like all spiritual paths have a, a common truth or or even the Unitarian Universalist approach. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, yeah, like a lot of people who are in the survival skills field and rewilding and ancestral skills are Druids without realizing it, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, they probably wouldn't like that, that label. I don't know. I, I know what you mean when you say that.
1: So that leads into, are you open about your Druid journey? Do you speak openly about your practice? It's interesting. I think
2: the honest answer is no. I think that there's, there's reasons why. I, I mean, I think I'm pretty open and people well understand that eco-spirituality and nature spirituality is a big part of my life and what I do. I think what's happened in the past is I've been together with people, you know, doing ceremony and, and this was years ago. We, we were doing a druid ceremony, or or seemingly a druid ceremony. It was around Imbolc, and then like what we were doing was really not working for the people who were there, and and so you know it's like okay, like you know what does that even mean, right? Like so again, because the, the druidry, being a druid, that that's a complicated topic. I don't tend to tell people who aren't druids that I that I practice druidry, right? Because I don't think they understand it, or they. There's images in their mind or, you know, they think it's all made up or, or, you know, honestly, you know, to be, to be completely transparent, I think they get it mixed up with Wicca and, and I have a relatively big audience I deal with in different situations. And so, you know, I've taught, I've taught classes on ceremonies. I've taught classes on wildcrafting your own ceremony and the intersection of, of nature and spirituality. And, but I don't use the term druidry that often out, out in public.
1: I think it makes sense to do that. I mean, you don't want to alienate yourself. And I think it already, once you know that you are a druid, right, in this kind of context, then you can see how that is woven through everything that you do professionally. So it it makes sense because once you see it, you can't unsee it. So everyone who's like in the know already knows and it's good.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's also funny because I sort of, got that label or some sort of label from the people I worked with for a long time. Cause you know, I worked for a survival skills school, one of the big ones in the country for, for several years. And it's sort of like, I was trying to explain to my friends, like what my job was back home. Like, and it was really difficult. And, you know, finally I said, well, it's like a ranger. It's like being a ranger from D and D. And then they were like, Oh, you're like a, r-. so like survival skills and ethnobotany and, you know, like, you know, teaching, you know, tracking. And, and, and so they sort of got that Right. Mm-hmm. Then when I was at the school, people would all kind of label me as like a wizard, like, you know, because of my love of plants and ceremony. And <laughs> and so it all kind of, you know, is it external? Is it internal? I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's funny. Like what it's some sort of archetype, I think, for all of us. And we know what the archetype is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Game recognized game. We see it in everyone. So how do
0: you incorporate magic into your Druidry?
1: Oh, that's, a, that's such a
2: fascinating question. I know you asked that of most of the people you've brought on the podcast. And, you know, I mean, part of it is like, well, how do you define magic, right? But I think magic really, for me, manifests through the ceremonies we do. Like, I, I've done, you know, ceremonies for many years now on the, the solstices and equinoxes and cross-quarter holidays, right? I mean, for oh, at least 15 years now. But I've also occasionally done ceremony when there was a need for rain or a need for weather change, mm-hmm. and and actually, Kara, I, I did you know several years ago in some of the first drought that was hitting California, I was down in California led people in a group of a ceremony at Muir Creek. Is it Muir Creek anyway? One of the creeks right near the, in the mm-hmm. Bay Area, and within a like a week or ten days dramatic change in the weather. And there was like, you know, this huge shift in, in rain, you know, and there's a lot of abundant rain that year. Wow. And so for me, I think magic and and people like unified together in ceremony, you know, kind of creates these magical results all the time. And then, you know, on a smaller scale, you know, our personal practice of meditation and connection and, and working in intention, kind of creates a form of natural magic, I would say, Mm -hmm. So you could say I do natural magic, I do ceremonial magic, but I think I do them in different ways than most people like use those words, right? Mm -hmm. Because ceremonial magic has a lot of implications for people of like specific uh, traditions or a culture practices And, and natural magic. It's like also linked a lot of times to specific associations, but I think there is a natural magic that arises through people coming together in ceremony and a natural magic that comes together through your own practices. And and I do think the more deeply connected you are to nature, and the deep connection that you experience through meditation, the more magical your life becomes. There's more synchronicity. You're living more of a mythic story in your life. And there is a tendency for things to manifest. And I remember some of the teachers I had early on talking about the importance of what they called the upright mind. And this idea that as you became more and more connected, that your thoughts became more powerful and that you had a more of a tendency to manifest things. And so you wanted to be cautious about having a lot of negative thoughts about yourself or others or about the world, because then you could tend to make those, you know, ha- you know those things would start to happen or, or would come true. And so, yeah, to be careful, basically, <laughs> with our thoughts as we get more and more connected.
0: Oh, absolutely. It seems to me like ritual magic and like natural magic seems to work along with like relationships where ceremonial magic is more about like the will.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ooh, can you elaborate on that?
0: On the will?
1: Yeah. Can you like define that more? Like I'm curious about the defin- like the defining characteristics of each.
0: Okay wi- will and magic it's it's not necessarily will power it's more the intention toward a goal but there's no real relationship needed it's as simple as like to take it to like a mundane aspect oh i'm thirsty it is my will to get a drink i'm going to go in the ah. kitchen and get a drink thus fulfilling my will Whereas with ritual and natural magic, it's more along the lines of, oh, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go get a drink. And and I, th- I think the spirits and the, the powers and everything that I actually have clean water in this home and that I'm going to say a prayer for that while I do this. It's more about... I guess being connected with the world around you rather than just being connected to yourself and kind of throwing all that out into the world.
1: Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I felt that cause we had this summer solstice organization wide ritual in summer. And there was something powerful, not only just doing it on the actual day, but also like, putting my little pin on the map that I was part of the collective. You know, there just felt... Something special about being one of many that were doing land healing work that day. And it felt more magnified when I was in my ritual that I wasn't the only one doing it, even though I know that there aren't on any given cross quarter day or, you know, holy day, but there was something about seeing the proof in the pudding and all the other little pins that made it more real to me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, kind of like it spoke closer to that relationship.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful and powerful things about having something like AODA these days and and having ways for people to connect through Discord and and forums and, and to be able to do something like that. I remember, you know, many years ago having that longing of that sense of wanting to connect with people on those days across the globe, you know, and, you know, now it's possible. Mm hmm. We
0: live in a very fascinating time.
1: <laughs> we definitely do. What is your favorite way of expressing your creativity?
2: Well, so one of the things that also really drew me into to AODA after having, you know, done some exploration with ADF, another Druid group, which I, when I was down in Arizona when I was in the Southwest, I was right near where a lot of the, the ADF people were. And so I, I did a lot of ceremony with them, and I, I found their ceremonies quite powerful. But one of the things I really got quite eh, excited about is the connection with AODA and creativity as part of the path, right? Like, and mm-hmm. and I definitely found my level of inspiration really skyrocketing um, after picking back up some of the AODA practices and and you know really doing the candidate curriculum. I think it was 2019 when I really did it. I started it. It may have been 2020. But it, for me, the, the expression, my expression of creativity is really writing. For many years, was was pretty active and, and you know, doing a lot of outdoor work and, and, and busy with family and stuff. And so for me, a lot of my writing was just like scrawling poems down, you know, after like some really cool experience. And I collected those, mm. put them in a notebook, and they just sat there for like a decade. But then, you know, some other things opened up over time, including this opportunity to do some writing professionally. And I've, I've, I've written a couple books, Falcon Press. I was really, you know, during COVID, I got kind of, you know, like all of us, you know, our lives changed and you know, what our routines changed. And through my AODA practices and you know my own just nature practices, I got really inspired at some point to start writing some fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a teenager, I was, and and even preteen, I wrote a fair amount of fantasy fiction that never really went anywhere. So then during the sort of lockdown phase of COVID, I actually wrote my first full-length contemporary fantasy novel with a druid as a main character. Mm. I just sucked it at the beginning of the summer. So for me, creativity obviously manifests a lot in writing. I mean, it also in movement too. I mean, I've done a lot of movement practices, but especially the meditations connected to to AODA, I I find that they fuel my creativity and have fueled them in some interesting ways. And so that book, gosh, I swear, it just kind of wrote itself. It was so interesting. And I would go to nature, I'd go out in nature, and then like a new chapter would come into my head, and I'd come back and I'd write it down and, you know, and it took probably a full year to get it all compiled and decently edited and, and finally put together. And when I finally published it, that some of the a- AODA folks were like really supportive. And um, that was really lovely. And it does have some, for sure, Easter eggs for anybody who's, you know, because it's, it's fiction, right? It's like contemporary urban fantasy fiction. It's, it's you know, not like what we were talking about, like people actually experience in Druidry. But- there's a lot of Easter eggs. There's a lot of AODA Easter eggs in the book. So if people check it out, they might find some things they recognize in there.
1: Congratulations. That sounds so fun.
2: Yeah. thank
1: you, both of you.
0: What's the name of it? And where can we find it?
2: Wild Druid. W-Y-L-D Druid. And I wrote it under a pen name, Rich Ryan. And it's on Amazon. It's on Kindle Unlimited. You can get an order paper book back now and i don't know maybe i'll expand it out to other places now and you know i it's kind of my first foray into fiction and you know it's i mean there's been a lot of ups and downs with it just like any sort of writing project and but it's certainly one of the most fun projects i've done for a long time
1: That is so fun. I, um, you are not the only one that found writing during the pandemic. I have several clients that have recently been, become authors in the last few years. I think it's so yeah. great to be able to yeah. manifest that creativity in a tangible story. Uh, will you write more? Is this the, just the beginning?
2: Well, yeah, so this is what's crazy, you know, and I, I guess like, you know, this is what happens to people once you know, you kind of open yourself up and then this inspiration pours through. So I have notes for nine novels, you know, like three kind of interconnected trilogies. Ooh. But I don't know that I am have the capacity to go back and write those. So I, I have started the second uh, book. I have written a, a little bit of a prequel, a little bit on a prequel novella or short story to go with it. So I would like Mm -hmm. to at least finish the first trilogy. I think I have to have some like fans and supporters. Like it has to, you know, eventually turn into something that you know supports me at least a little bit because it's a fair amount of time and energy. But I, I wanted to give a shout out to another AODA author, David Barber. He's a he's a candidate, and he has a mystery series. And it's not explicitly like a Druid mystery series, but he has, it's got a lot of nature connection, a lot of tracking and survival skills in it. And he's been a great resource for me around diving into self-publishing and self-publishing fiction. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's a, and, you know, so we talk about, you know, our Druid practice and we talk about writing and we talk about like publishing and all that. And so he's been, and he's, he found out about when I published, posted it on the AODA Facebook page, you know, and he was one of the people that wow. was really
1: That is so cool. It's great that we can support our members. That's part of why we want to do this podcast is our AOD members are doing so many amazing projects and we just want to get the word out there about what people are doing and how to support them. So that's perfect.
2: Thanks. That's awesome. I, that's, I, I love that you all are doing that. Yeah. So
1: a- well, are there other, Philosophical schools or spiritual traditions that you embrace or practice alongside your druidry?
2: Yeah, this is a this is a tricky question for me. I mean, the, the I guess the simple answer is yes, but I but I do think it it, it can be a little complicated. And I I, I want to preface it by saying that my tendency, my my draw after many many years is this you know seeing the truth in all spiritual traditions and the the perennial approach or the Unitarian Universalist idea and. And I'll be honest, that was part of what really drew me to AODA is this sort of you know, no dogma and flexible cosmology. But I mm-hmm. I have, you know, been lucky and fortunate enough to have had different teachers from different traditions. And I, I you know, have had different indigenous teachers who've, you know, share different practices and and you know, it's like some of those are appropriate to take up and some of them, you know, it's not, and you have to kind of figure out the the line there, but there's certainly, that still influences me. And I've also been pretty heavily influenced by a deep practice of Qigong and internal martial arts and Taoist uh, philosophy and approaches for a long time. And I think AODA folks would find a really fascinating parallels to the, the teachings there. And, you know, for instance, the eight main holidays like the solstices and equinoxes and the you know the cross quarter days and, and we're we're doing this basically this we're we're recording this on Lunasa, right? Like, you know, which you know is pretty mm-hmm.
1: interesting.
2: Even though I'm sure it'll come out later. But, you know, in the Taoist tradition, there's certain practices that are done around those dates for health and longevity and other things. And they're and they're called the eight gates, you know, and they're used in different symbology and different movement practices and different ceremony. And so I find that fascinating, you know, that, like, here there are, like, very different traditions from different parts of the globe having these overlaps. And I had a, a time, oh, yeah, where I, you know, right as I was f- discovering Druidry, I'd had one Lakota teacher, a man named Gilbert Walking Bull, would say certain things. And then a Taoist teacher I had was saying certain things. And then I would read, you know, literally in John Michael Greer's Handbook of Druidry. The the same thing, and 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 I can explain what that is if if people are mm-hmm. curious. If you're curious, but the overlaps of this sort of unity of of approach in cosmology was really lovely to discover. And you know the the three cauldrons meditation too, which is you know a, a druid practice. Like there's literally a Taoist practice that is the three cauldrons practice, and it's the same practice. It's 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 I mean it's virtually the same practice. The the cauldrons are located in the same spaces in the body and so for me Mm -hmm. i just find that really interesting Mm -hmm. and i remember going to hawaii um, many years ago and being invited to teach there and and connecting with some of the local native hawaiian folks who came to teach at the workshop we were at and then discussing what they called um, the three picos and there was one in the located Mm -hmm. in the pelvis one in the heart and one in the head and that these were their three centers of, you know, power and relationship and magic and all these things. And so, yes, I, I'm definitely informed still by that Taoist practice. I still do Tai Chi and Qigong. and 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 my teacher though is is formally a a holder of a specific lineage of Taoism and the very specific rituals and ceremonies they do. And I am not currently practicing any of that. So
1: do you want to define Taoism just since you've referenced it just a few times for anyone who isn't familiar with it?
2: Yeah, sure, sure. And I, I think there is some confusion in at in, in least America around exactly what Taoism is, but it is the religious tradition of China, one of the primary three religious traditions. And it is really the religious tradition that was there before Buddhism showed up. And it, it has philosophical texts. It has ritual practices. It has magical practices. They're very big into talism- uh, talismanic practices, like creating these really cool talismans for, to protect against different things. It has astrology as a big part of it. Feng shui is a big part of it. So when we talk about like the telluric current and the, the cosmic current, right, in um, in druidry, like those same two currents, those same two energies are high, are basically recognized as like the energy of the earth and the energy of the sky in, in Taoist cosmology and practice. So, yeah. And, um, you know, some people think of of Taoism and they, they maybe have read the Tao Te Ching or Lao Tzu, these famous philosophical texts. But if you go to China or you look back in Chinese history, there's a lot more there. It's quite rich. It's quite diverse. And there's a lot of parallels to to magical traditions that have also kind of disappeared in, in, you know, the European tradition in the, European American traditions.
0: Yeah, they even have alchemy as well.
2: Yes, yes, external and internal alchemical practices, right, in extracting essences from plants mm-hmm. or minerals or other substances for external alchemical uh, practice. But these meditative practices of of working with the three cauldrons or the three dantians t- as a form of internal alchemy. So again, mm-hmm. some pretty interesting parallels with Druidry.
0: Another fascinating thing is that the idea of like the cosmos being spheres, like the Sephiroth, uh, that was first found in China on, oh, some really old documents. Uh, Greer writes all about it in, um, oh, the Celtic Golden Dawn School.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've even heard that there's a theory that the Emerald Tablet. Actually, originally came from China. This this very famous alchemical little little tiny text, because it it reads like a a Chinese Taoist text. And so there's this idea: oh, maybe it came from China originally, and then went to Egypt, and then I guess to Greece, and then to Europe, or something like that.
0: That would make a lot of sense. It's all connected. Um, You know, a lot of China traveled along the uh, Silk Road.
1: I had a very similar experience when I first started kind of diving more into spiritual work. And I went to a spiritual sauna, which it, other people would call a sweat lodge. And when they did the calling of all the directions, it immediately yeah. like piqued my interest. And so when I came to the AODA, it was like all about the elements and the directions. And I'm like, this is what I've been searching for. You know, like this has piqued my interest all those years later. And now, I have this avenue where I get to really dive deep into the elements and the directions and it was just one of the many puzzle pieces that like really fit together when I started my candidacy. So there's so many parallels and I love that there's such a variety of members. And, um, we've talked about, you know, the Qigong articles that have been in the trilithon, you know, like that there's just so much information and there's so many parallels to uh, the members that we get to wildcraft our own journey here. And we get to, you know, bring all these aspects into it and p- other people are on the same wavelength. And I really, I love that.
2: Yeah. I love that too. And that, and that, you know, really feels like, you know, the idea of bringing people together and and creating connection and unity rather than disconnection and disharmony. Right. And, and finding what, Mm -hmm. you know, we we have in common, not what we want to fight about or whatever, you know? And yeah, I, I too, uh, Kiara, like have had been in, in sweat lodges and, and, you know, the, the tradition, the main tradition I was connected to or, or went to for a while you know, the the, te- the teachings were that they were i almost identical to the sphere of protection practice. It was not just the four directions, mm-hmm. but it was above and below, and it was also the center. So it was like these seven different practices. So anybody who's done sphere of protection, yes. you know, that the seven sacred elements, it's it's not four elements, or I mean it is four elements, but it's the four directions, it's above, it's below, and the center, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, like again, this is something that feels universal, right? It feels like something that connects us all.
1: Absolutely. Can we talk about your other Druid organizations that you're connected with? Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So it's funny because when we say, um, you know, we're connected or not, you know, it's been, I've been often just like I said earlier, very on the periphery of any organized group. And it's not like I'm afraid or, or or anything, it's just like a natural tendency. But I, I did was a was a part of ADF. I, I think I'm technically still a part of ADF, which is a another Druid organization. There's three main ones, right? There's AODA, there's OBOD, and then there's ADF. And ADF stands for Andriak Fane, which is Gaelic for our own druidry. They're, you know, of the three organizations, they're the ones that, you know, tries to lean most towards their practices resembling historical Druidry. Like the Druidry that was practiced by ancient Europeans as best they they can do it, you know. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, there's Mm -hmm.
2: a lot of really cool things in ADF around, you know, really studying what what is actually known about actual Druids. And having practices and ceremonies that revolve around the spiritual forces that our ancestors, those who are of European descent, that ancestors actually probably had a relationship with. So there's a lot of, of really lovely aspects to it. I, my first experience with ADF, my first that I really remember, was going to a Salin ceremony outside in the desert. And, you know, there was this huge stone circle, like literally with standing stones with images of deities on it. And there was a fire and they had a tree, and there was a well where you put things in, and then there was a part of the the ceremony where you took, like, this keg of dark beer, and somebody took an axe and said, for the ancestors, and they slammed this axe down into this keg, uh, this keg of dark ale, right, and it spurted out all over. Oh my god. And I swear to God, swear that my ancestors stood up inside of me and cheered in that moment. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Wow. <laughs> and so I found like, you know, some of what they, they really did was really enlivening and really connective. And, and, you know, like, like we were saying earlier, Chiari, a lot of the ceremony I'd been to at that point, you know, had been like sweat lodges and, you know, really powerful stuff. And you know, there's prayers and there's it takes you into this altar consciousness. But I found that the ADF ceremonies were equally powerful and yeah and it's ironic that i discovered adf when i was down in a different bioregion a desert very far from the kind of bioregion that i felt naturally connected to which is like a, you know a rainy lush forest with oceans nearby and mountains you know mm-hmm. um, and i i think that you know the reason why i haven't really stuck with a lot of the adf practices and things is just again it's kind of like i prefer that more universalist approach and i am just pretty influenced by local environment and local cosmology you know like the kind of mm. bubbles up here in the where i am in the now the pacific northwest the cascadia bioregion
1: mm-hmm. so does the adf not have the local focus that the aoda does well they they have an interesting
2: cosmology which i actually feel like does overlap with AODA where they have this cosmology of like, there's three kind of different powers. There's the sort of the ancestors, there's nature spirits or local nature spirits. And then there's gods and goddesses. But my impression, and this is just my experience was there was a lot more emphasis on the gods and goddesses that were worshiped in ancient Europe. And, oh. you know, and, and, and even the ancestors and less on the local spirits or beings and and to be honest of those three like the the gods and goddesses the ancestors or the nature spirits i am most definitely drawn towards the the nature spirits you know more specifically mm-hmm. like that kind of cosmological approach that 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 way of interfacing with mystery and and such so
1: right yeah it's interesting that the three main organized druid organizations have such a different focus because i would say that what I've heard so far about OBOD is that it's very traditional, right? About all the European folklore. So it's interesting. I haven't, I don't think we've ever had anyone break down the ADF before. So it's nice to hear what the differences are. Cause I know there's so many parallels and I know there's um, a lot of members that are also ADF members, but I, um, I don't think we've interviewed anyone that's explained it like that. So thank you.
2: Oh, yeah, my pleasure. And I think, isn't it rich that we're all living in an era where there's now three live active druid traditions, at least, right? And that, like, we all have the opportunity mm-hmm. to join them and there's no, like, whatever, religious persecution or, forbi- you know, whatever. You know, um, it's pretty amazing that that's happening.
0: Oh, yeah, there's absolutely no infighting, as far as I know, between the, the three orders and mm-hmm. even the more obscure ones as well.
1: I was going to... Piggyback on the scene where like everyone talks about how they're so complimentary depending on what your focus is. And so I've heard nothing but great things about being in multiple organizations and how it's only beneficial instead of limiting, you know, so, which is exactly what you want to hear. You know, everyone's welcome and it just enhances your experience as a druid.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly. So like you said, going, cause you, you, traveled all over, right? Like being in Washington and then down in the southwest. What are some of the things you've discovered that are unique to your understanding of the bioregion you're a part of in Washington?
2: I, I came out to Washington the first time when I was 19. And, you know, there was a deep connection to this place. I, I remember riding a ferry across the Puget Sound and seeing Mount Rainier, which is this massive mountain, and then going and working at a summer camp and seeing old growth trees for the first time and eating wild berries and going backpacking. And it's just sort of this awakening, right, of connection to nature. And then I went and finished school and went back. And then, and so I I lived here for a while. And then I did go down to Arizona for a few years. And one of the things that was just, it was very hard for me to live in Arizona, actually, because it's just so hot and dry. and But that was when I had that realization of, oh, one of the reasons I like, the Pacific Northwest is because my ancestors come from a place where there's salt water and rivers and mountains and forests, mm. wolves and ravens and and you know, bears and and they're not from the desert. That 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 some of the reason I like that landscape might be because like that's where my people came from. And and I, mm-hmm. I know my people from the Pacific Northwest and I, I wanna acknowledge that there's like this long tradition of people who live here. My people came from Ireland and you know, Scotland and, and, but the, the climate's extraordinarily similar, right? Like, like those two climates are very similar. And there's, there's even similar species, right? Like of plants and similar species of animals. And so my, my being drawn to the Northwest was probably related to that ancestral longing. But the other piece I just wanted to kind of put out there is just this idea that I, I do think, and, and this is one of the things I really like about AODA and, this idea of wild crafting your own druidry is that our bioregion does shape our our belief. I think that there's a that it shapes cosmology. It shapes our relationships, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fascinating to explore that. You know, and the Northwest is like there's massive trees and there's big mountains and there's a lot of water that produces certain things in people.
1: Yeah, you talk to any Californian, and no one can ever imagine being land in any landlocked state. <laughs> Exactly. It's, you just can't imagine it. You're like, nope. I need the ocean. I need, yeah. I get it. Yeah, it is a part of us. Yeah, totally. Totally. Is your wife from Washington too? She, she's
2: from California originally, so she's been she's been here for almost the same amount of time as I have. Actually, so we both have, okay. you know, made this our home. You know,
0: yeah. Over time. So. What advice would you give to a new candidate in our order?
2: just say to enjoy yourself like i'm definitely a person that can get a little bit uptight and a little bit focused and a little bit like perfectionistic about anything and about any sort of practice and so i would encourage candidates to really enjoy themselves and i would encourage them to for sure make you know make sure that part of the ovate path of getting outside and just sitting by yourself quietly in nature that you really make that a regular part of your practice there there's definitely some things i've seen in the eco-spirituality and even neo-pagan traditions of people who are like really into a lot of recreated traditions that are very disconnected from where they live and, and very just disconnected yeah. from nature you know and so i just think that's a really beautiful part of the the AODA path and that i yeah i'd love that that part the earth path right
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah the earth path
1: yeah, I think that nature connection piggybacks onto our bioregion, right? Like right now the crows are in my neighborhood. Someone is feeding them. My neighbors probably hate it, but I love it. So our walk, our evening walk, the crows are everywhere and that is unique, right? Like they don't exist everywhere. And it's right. something that I'm really appreciating of like midsummer right now. And my our region has, I've been able to visit the redwoods and we've got lots of woodlands and oak groves here. And, you know, there's so much diversity. And I feel like really connecting with nature and wanting to connect with all the different aspects have made me more curious about the birds that are chirping and what's happening on any given cycle of the season. So it that's been eye-opening during my candidacy for sure. So other than the book and the book link that we're going to put in our show notes, is there anything else that you want to promote?
2: Yeah, I, I would love to. And, and thanks for asking both of you. I, I think it's very kind of you to, to, to promote people's work. But I, you know, I do some naturalist guiding and survival skills, you know, in-person stuff here in Washington. But I also teach a lot of online classes. This is something I didn't really expect to be doing, but it really blew up during COVID in like a good way. And so you can check me out. I have a website, www.primalnate.com. And, yeah, I just taught a plant spirit medicine class this summer. And, yeah, I've taught some spirit tracking classes before, like intuitive spirit tracking. And so stuff that's really right up the alley, I think, of a lot of people who are out there listening to this in AODA and just who are interested in Druidry. You know, And one of the things I'm really interested in sharing with the, the Druid community that hopefully will happen at some point is teaching about the language of the birds oh, um, fascinating. and this being Actual practice that was part of, of part of European traditions, you know, like it, it really is something. And then there's sort of a more modern naturalist take on it and like how you can really can use like what the birds are vocalizing to find where animals are or to understand what's going on with the weather mm. or there's a real like actual part of it, like a real like tangible part of it. And then there's also a more esoteric part of it. So yeah, um, mm-hmm. you can, you can check it, that, that kind of stuff out on my website at, at primalnate.com and, and get on the mailing list because I don't have any current classes I'm doing right now. But come September, October, there should be a couple cool things on there I think people would be interested in.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for all of that. You have a cookbook too. Like you're so well-rounded on what you have available. So it's it's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And thank you. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it and appreciate the work you all are doing in the world.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Before we close, why do you think Druidry is important at this time? And what role can it play in the bigger challenges we are facing?
2: I do feel like there's something that Druidry is offering that is not really being offered by a lot of other spiritual traditions right now or like a a, just a materialistic approach. And it really is this idea that many, many, many religious traditions, not the indigenous traditions, but most of the other religious traditions in the world, you know, some of which I've, you know, been, you know, done practices in or been, you know, parts of, really seem to have this transcendental approach. And, And I feel like, and I'm not the only one, I think plenty of people on this, you know, in this group and and who are listening will understand what I'm saying is that this transcendental approach, I think, really leads to many of the challenges we're facing, the the materialistic challenges and the philosophical challenges and really the ecological crisis we're in. And so when I look at any tradition out there that is really about connecting us and connecting us to nature, You know, druidry really pops out. I mean, and and I think some of the other neo-pagan traditions do too. But I think that especially the AODA approach—that it's you know more universalist and it's there's no dogma, there's no cosmology. You know, you can be Christian, you can be a druid, you could be a Taoist and you could be a druid, you could be Jewish and be a druid, you could be whatever and be part of AODA. Like that, I think that there's something special about that and that unity, that acceptance, that tolerance, and that connection to nature really. I feel like are kind of some of the medicine we really need in the world right now to, to you know face mm. a lot of the we're facing, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. So so many of those transcendental schools, I mean they say they're like they're they're open to all beliefs and all people, but really when you get down to the grid of it, they're not. Yeah. Especially yeah. with like um the LGBTQ plus community, you know?
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: AODA has really been a safe space for uh,
1: everybody in that community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the medicine we need is through the connection and unity. I mean, we see it everywhere on the Discord and the Facebook and the forum, you know, where there's so much support of other members going through different things, not only like the climate crisis (laughs) is affecting so many people, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the on the, you know, political side, not that we'll discuss it here, but, you know, there's so much going on. And I think that uh, the contact of nature is so universal and available literally to anyone that it is equalizing. You know, we can all have, find a peace that we're not necessarily finding on our own. Maybe that's not right. Maybe it's just that, Again, it goes back to that 5 minutes of like breeze on my face, being outside. Nothing else matters in that moment and then I can go and tackle laundry and dinner time and yeah, work and all of that. And it's free. <laughs> it's free yeah. and it's available and I have an entire community out there of druids that are willing and able to support me in whatever I'm going through. So, it is the medicine we need for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nate, thank you so much. This has been so great to talk to you. I feel like I learned so much.
0: Wow, that was a very interesting interview. I I learned a lot.
1: I could have talked to Nate for like another two hours. <laughs> he mm-hmm. is like a wealth of knowledge in so many different ways. I could have really... De- dove deep into the survivalism, so that was um our first survivalist interview. Very cool.
0: Yeah, we'll have to have on part two again. I thought it was really interesting the way he was talking about Gary Snyder and like hunters and stuff, and and being out in nature. I remember um, my time in the military; they taught us this technique called seals, and that's where mm. when you're out in the field, you stop, you look. You listen and you smell, and you take in all the everything that you can be aware of around you all at once. Mm.
1: And when I read
0: about that as the practice of stillness, I was like, oh, I know about this. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I might have to steal that because they're paying attention to your senses. It's such a part of something we take for granted when we're outside, but it's true. Like the magnolias are blooming right now or, you know, when things are blooming and you smell it, you're taking in all of the senses. It's so important to the experience.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I really appreciated the indigenous history that he had um in the ancestral connection i think that's something that i've definitely gotten more connected with as my druidry has evolved something that's universal among all of us the how we connect with not only our land through the local focus but also through our lineage and what that means to us so i appreciated it
0: oh yeah Western esotericism has a very fascinating history that is act that you actually don't learn about in school but mm. yeah if you if you research into it it's there's a lot of connections and a lot of interconnectedness with almost all the cultures and all the philosophies
1: yeah yeah, there were, he brought up a lot of parallels that I had not thought of. I mean, there's a lot of things that we should, probably should have learned in school that we didn't. So, if we could rewrite yeah. the history books.
0: You're only, only there so long. <laughs>
1: I know. And it feels like an eternity. <laughs> All at the same time. Uh,
0: the AODA has a website, which is AODA.org. We also have a public Discord server, a public forum, and a Facebook group as well as an Instagram. If you are a member of AODA and would like to be a guest or contribute music, poetry, stories, philosophy, or other art, please reach out to us at druidwisdompodcast at gmail.com. The artwork for our logo was provided by the Grand Arch Druid of our Order, Dana O'Driscoll. You can find more of her beautiful and inspiring artwork on Instagram at druidsgardenart. The music was provided by me, our podcast Instagram is Druid Wisdom Podcast. Don't forget to check out Nate's website, primalnate.com, and check out the book Wild Druid, an urban fantasy action book by Ryan Rich. All these links will be in the show notes. Please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Podchaser. Thank you so much for joining us. We will now depart with some quotes provided by Nate.
2: You know, I just wanted to offer a quote from a. a- A teacher that I knew of. He was kind of a grandfather to Wilderness Awareness School, the the organization I worked with for a long time. His name was Ingwe. He was a person who grew up in Africa of European descent, but had, you know, really connected a lot to the traditions there. And he had this quote, two quotes, actually. Uh, The first one is, the book of nature has no end, and it has no beginning. And the wilderness holds all truth and knowledge uh oh. oh.